This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello, and welcome aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I am Paul Gallant. It is Tuesday, June 1st of 2021. Hope that you had yourselves a great Memorial Day weekend. Of course, we're thinking about all those who gave their lives in service of our country. I got a couple of questions for you today. The first of which has to do with the Seattle Seahawks and something that we've been discussing a lot over the past 48 hours. If Julio Jones were traded to the San Francisco 49ers, how much of a gap would he put between Seattle and San Francisco? I ask that because it sounds like, at least per Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, that Julio Jones might be most likely to be a part of the Niners in the next coming days. Agree. From what I'm hearing, something could go down as early as Wednesday. That's when the team could pick up the cap relief post June 1st. Asking around the league, the team I hear most often is the San Francisco 49ers. They have nearly $20 million in cap space, the Kyle Shanahan connection with Julio. But you hear that the teams like the Titans are lurking. You hear some of the Rams. And then, of course, the Seahawks have had a discussion, although they value their limited draft capital and want to try to keep that. Also, a sleeper here is the Baltimore Ravens. I'm told they're willing to get involved if it's at the right price. A couple of responses to this question that I asked on Twitter. At Galan says, if he were traded to San Francisco, how much of a gap would Julio Jones put between the Hawks and Niners? And I based it off of a wins above replacement kind of method. Not at all. One game, two games, three games, or more. Murph responded, it would make a pretty decent gap, but not an enormous one because it takes two to dominate. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have that ability to do it. Corey, meanwhile, is a little bit more frenetic about the possibility, saying probably a three to four game gap. But then I put the poll up, and a lot of you guys think that it won't make a difference at all. 41%. I guess I'd ask those same people if you feel that way about San Francisco trading for Julio Jones, upgrading that wide receiver core, then you should feel that same way about the Seattle Seahawks. Should they add Julio Jones? I put a piece up at 710sports.com last night listing all of the many reasons that I think it would be a mistake for the Seattle Seahawks to trade for Julio. I think that you're putting too much money into the wide receiver position. I think that it's sometimes difficult to make a wide receiver who's been a one elsewhere to fit in on a team where there are two guys who could be number one wide receivers in different locations. I have serious questions about his hamstring injury. It's a long list. They're prioritizing running the football more effectively. Is that going to help them? Sure, maybe the first half of the season down the stretch. If you think that Jeremy Fowler's report about the San Francisco 49ers potentially being the favorites to add Julio Jones is correct, and you think that it's not going to make much of a difference, you should feel the same way about the Seahawks potentially doing it. I actually have another reason, by the way, why I think it would be a mistake for the Seahawks to trade for Julio Jones. If you're Julio, you signed a really big contract back in 2019. It was a $66 million contract. $64 $64 million of it was guaranteed. But pretty much all of the guaranteed money on that, on that contract, it's done after this coming season. And if you're Julio, you get traded elsewhere, are you just going to play 
Or are you going to look at your contract and say, rip it up, I want a new one right now? Wide receivers have ego. He's a wide receiver. He probably still thinks he's one of the league's best. And even with $15 million or so guaranteed for this coming season, I'd be shocked if Jones doesn't push for a final contract before playing a single game for whatever team trades for him. I think if I'm Julio Jones, I want to be respected as the number one wide receiver in the game again. DeAndre Hopkins, on a per-year basis, makes more money than me. I've got $2 million guaranteed left on this deal after this coming season. I'm the Julio Jones. I don't care that DK Metcalf is in Seattle or that Tyler Lockett's in Seattle if I were traded there. Or if I were traded to Los Angeles, I'm the number one guy. If I'm traded to San Francisco, I'm the number one guy. I want to be paid again at age 32 like the number one guy, especially given that there are some hamstring concerns about him going forward, some injury concerns. He's 32. He's going to be 33 in February. These are things that I feel like are things that Seattle should be aware of. Should they pull the trigger on a deal? Honestly, things that San Francisco should probably be aware of. I disagree with the response. I do think that San Francisco adding Julio Jones probably would help. San Francisco be even better than you. Then, by the way, I think they already are. I think when they're fully healthy, they are a more complete team. And yes, they might not have a quarterback anywhere close to Russell Wilson, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo this year or Trey Lance down the road. But that team made it to a Super Bowl, split the season series with you in 2019 when it was fully healthy. Good defense, good enough offense team that can run the football no matter who is behind their quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you've got a response to that, if you were traded to San Francisco, how much of a gap would Julio Jones put between the Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers? Text it in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Let the 49ers have him, writes a texter from the 253, continue to mortgage the future. They sure did a lot of that by trading for Trey Lance, the ability to draft probably the third best quarterback in this year's draft. Although we'll see with Zach Wilson. It's the New York Jets that were taking him second overall. Another text. Seattle has Russell Wilson. San Francisco has Jimmy G and a rookie who's played one year at the college level, the one double A level, FCS. Pretty big difference. That's true, but are we going to compare the rosters? Because honestly, assess both rosters. San Francisco's defense is better. San Francisco's offensive line is better. San Francisco's wide receiver core maybe isn't on the same page as Seattle's, but it's comparable. And when you add a tight end into the mix and George Kittle, who's arguably the best in the NFL, that also adds a little bit to him. I got another question for you today on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I'm Paul Gallant on your 710 app, on your smart speaker, 710sports.com slash video. The Mariners are back above 500 after yesterday afternoon's 6-5 win over the Oakland A's. Here's a 2-1 pitch coming to Murphy. Trevino deals. Swing on, base hit. Make that a line drive, deep right field, plenty deep. Here comes France. He's steaming on the throw. Not in time. Mariners win it. Six to five. Tom Murphy being mopped. He's trying to get away. He's the strongest guy going. They're surrounding him, and he looks like he's a bull in a china closet. They're pushing him and shoving him as they celebrate on the first baseline. The Murph comes through with a liner to right to win the ball game. Six to five in ten. Woo! 
Woo, indeed. The face that Tom Murphy made as he was mobbed by his teammates was one of the more terrifying faces you're going to see from any athlete in sports. And clearly it's something that he has been working on, perfecting. It was straight out of The Shining. If you haven't seen that movie, you should watch it. I actually haven't seen that movie. So I'm basically telling this to myself. Write that down, Paul. Actually watch The Shining so you can 100% complete that reference. They're 13-8 and eight against the American League West right now. It's a quarter of the way through the year. Lots of time left. We thought that the American League West was on the decline going into this year. You look at the Houston Astros who lost George Springer in free agency. You look at the Oakland A's who seem to squeeze every single bit that they possibly can out of a roster that clearly doesn't have the resources to compete with Houston. Probably with you if you decide to go all in on a season. I'm talking about the Mariners here. The A's are broke. And now, I mean, they have the conversation about where they might be playing next on the back of their minds as well. But all but one team in the American League West has a negative run differential this year. So we're seeing the fall of the AL West right now. Houston's the best team in the league, excuse me, in that division, but they're going to be losing probably at least two of these three guys this offseason. Carlos Correa, Zach Greinke, Justin Verlander. There's not a lot of pitching in the division either. Houston and Oakland are middle of the pack, just barely ahead of Seattle when it comes to ERA. In fact, when you go a little bit further, walks, hits, per innings pitched, the Mariners are not too far behind Houston, who has the top mark in the division. There's a lot of unsustainable going on with the Mariners right now. They have the worst average in the majors, the worst OPS in the majors. That might improve as the season goes along. It might not. But I'm, I'm not looking at some of the things that the Mariners aren't doing right now. I'm looking at what's not in the rest of the American League West. And I'm thinking about next offseason. You know, when you're 13-8 and eight in the AL West right now with that lineup, how much is it going to take to actually put yourself on the same level as Oakland, who for whatever reason you're having a lot of success against this year? Houston may be a little bit of a different conversation given what they have built up. They have an unbelievable lineup. But I feel like it might only be a free agent addition or two that gets you into that, oh, yeah, this is at least on par with the A's as the second best team in the division. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in. What does the Mariners' 13-8 and record against the AL West a quarter of the way through the year tell you about Seattle? We'll talk about that and also your thoughts on what Julio Jones to San Francisco would do as far as the gap between the Seahawks and 49ers. I'm Paul Gallant, and this is the Paul Gallant Show on your 710 app, your smart speaker, 710sports.com slash video. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's 1010. It's time for What's Trending. Brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura. How are you now? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Doing wonderful. You brought up The Shining, and it um, made me think there's a um, the hotel that that was based on is in Colorado, in Estes Park. Did you stay there? No, I had friends that did, but I was always too scared to do it. Is there, like, previous haunting that took place there? Is that why they decided to shoot it there? I believe. I'd have to look it up. But, yeah, I think there's some some history there. Okay. I've never wanted to stay somewhere that's haunted. I don't I don't get why people want to do that. I dated somebody who uh, was a self-identified witch who used to go to oh. a lot of these places. Yes. All right. Yeah, I was always like, wait, are, are you actually feeling things there? And she was convinced that there were spirits in all these places. I am highly skeptical of that. But I didn't go there because I am also a coward. 
I like how you're like, I don't believe in it, but just in case. Just in case. No, nah, I don't want to. I don't want to have my uh, my grasp on reality challenged too much. <laughs> All right. Well, the Mariners are still unfortunately living their injury reality where uh, Kyle Lewis left yesterday's game with knee soreness. Scott Service said it was precautionary. But it felt similar to Lewis to what he experienced in spring Ugh. training that kept him out the first couple weeks of the season. There is good news, though, as Marco Gonzalez takes the mound for the first time since April 27th today for them. That's great to hear. But, of course, the first time the Mariners are back above 500 coincides with a big-time injury. And I think there's reason to be really concerned about this one with Kyle Lewis. This is the same knee that he injured in 2016 with the torn ACL that was also nagging him in spring training and is now nagging him again. Well, yeah, in spring training, they said he hit it on the wall and had like a bone bruise. So there was a reason. The fact that he's just kind of having random soreness now doesn't seem good. No, not at all. And I, I mean, I guess you rest him and you hope for the best. But feels like something that even if he's been away for a couple of weeks and it's still there, that might be a little bit more of something that would keep him on the shelf for, I don't know, maybe a month plus. I mean, a couple of weeks, that did not help him out going from spring training into the regular season. But Marco's back. That's great. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a Debbie Downer right now. And they're back above 500. Huzzah. All right, on ESPN's Get Up this morning, Mike Greenberg discussed his thoughts on what a Julio Jones trade would do for the other big NFC West rival of the Seahawks. You already covered the Niners, but what it would do for the Rams. I would argue that if he winds up with the Rams, they might actually challenge Tampa as the favorite in the NFC. You know I love the Rams. I've already told you I love that defense. I'd like to see them make that playoff run last year with a healthy Aaron Donald. He was a shell of himself in that playoff game against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I'd like to see that game again, and I would certainly like to see it if Matthew Stafford is their quarterback. No, you wouldn't. That game would have been an abomination. Another game with John Wofford under center? No. Or Jared Goff under center? No. With a healthier Aaron Donald? He was not going to make the difference in that game. He wasn't. The Packers are clearly a better team than the Rams were at that point. Jones paired up with Matthew Stafford. It sounds a lot like Matthew Stafford paired up with Calvin Johnson. And I know that Detroit has had a lot of obstacles in their history and has been just an absolute dreg of a franchise for a long period of time. But are you really telling me that this go-round, an older Matt Stafford and an older Julio Jones is going to be anything different than Stafford and Calvin Johnson putting up statistics but not winning any games? Like I, This is my thing with Matt Stafford. Why does everybody want to make him into this quarterback that we think of as one of the top in the game? It's because of things that they see. Great, but he should have been able to elevate the play of Detroit. People are really trying to make Los Angeles happen, guys. And I know that I have disrespected the Rams in the past to the point where I wore Ram horns for an entire week after the Seahawks season-ending loss to Los Angeles. But I'm, I'm just wondering why everyone seems to have this faith in Matt Stafford and Julio Jones combined. Those guys have a lot of injury concerns about them. Jones' hamstring. Stafford, insert a body part, specifically his back. 
That, everybody, it's What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. It's the Paul Gallant Show. Thank you very much, Maura Dooley. The most interactive sports talk show in Seattle on 710 ESPN Seattle, your 710 app, your smart speaker, and 710sports.com slash video. All right, guys, 206-421-3776. My question to you, if he were traded to San Francisco, how much of a gap would Julio Jones put between the Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers? 206-421-3776 or 710-710, the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Your chance to be heard is right now. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. Text in 710-710. A one-game separation if Julio went to the Niners only because of their quarterback separation. We'd have a legit shot to win the Super Bowl if he came to us. Does it really make you that much more likely to win a Super Bowl having Julio Jones on that offense? I don't think you have much questions about the offense outside of what Shane Waldron's going to be able to bring to the table and how much of an effect the fact that Seahawks veterans aren't showing up at OTAs might have on the installation of that offense. But I, I feel like we know the offense is going to be good to great, and Julio Jones makes it incrementally better. I don't think it makes you more of a Super Bowl contender, though. I feel like you have to look at your defense and give an honest assessment of it. And if you're trying to push like some people have, that that's a top 10 defense down the stretch. Statistically, yes, it was. Did you really buy that? Did you really buy that that defense, the way that they closed out the year against some bad quarterbacks, do you really think that that defense is a top 10 unit, top 16 unit? I think it's even debatable as to the latter. 710-710, Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I say make a conditional trade from the 425. Here's the problem with a conditional trade. The C, the the 40 excuse me, the Falcons aren't going to do that. The Falcons don't want a conditional trade. They want as much as they can get in draft capital and they want a team to pay all the money left on his contract. The text continues, if Julio meets a certain criteria, the Falcons could have the Seahawks 30th pick in the first round. Well, I mean, there's no first-round pick this coming season, so it would be the first-round pick after that, which is a little bit less valuable. If not, the Falcons get our second-round pick. That's the highest I'd go. Or throw in, okay, now you're just throwing in random players that you know are inconsequential, rather, to the Seahawks situation. Some of these trade proposals that you guys throw out, and this isn't just people listening right now. I feel like a lot of people will put out these Madden trade proposals, but essentially these are the kind of trades where you put in a couple of guys at the back, and there's no way that another team would actually want those guys. And you're thinking, oh, okay, well, that's going to, that's going to help out. So you're looking for like a, a Mingo and a Martin type. Plus, th- those, guys were, those guys were afterthoughts on your roster. Like, is that, is that really going to make a team like Atlanta excited? No, they have no cap space. It doesn't work. 7-10, 7-10. The Hawks desperately need a third wide receiver option. It provides insurance if Tyler Lockett gets banged up again. Saw this put out there on Twitter. Lockett has only played a fully healthy season in 2016 and 2018. And while he has been available, I don't think there's any denying over the last two years that he was not 100% himself down the final stretch. That's a fair argument to make. That's probably the best argument to make for Julio Jones. Here's the problem. Julio Jones might have that same problem. Hamstring injury at age 32. You really think that that's never going to pop up again? I don't buy that for a second. 7-10, 
710, they would have a better chance and Super Bowl, uh, chance at a Super Bowl, getting Stephon Gilmore instead of Julio out of the 206. Yep, 100%. Uh, text in 710-710. If you don't think it's a big deal about Julio Jones, then why is the whole show based on it? Go back to Houston, you bum. He's going to be likely on an NFC contender, I would think. And it sounds like he is the favorite to go to the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think he would be that much of a help on the Seahawks. I do think that he makes San Francisco better. But I don't think for either team that he's the finishing touch. People seem to believe that that's just how it works. Like you bring in a guy like this and that's going to make the biggest difference in the world. I, I, I just don't know about that. Especially with some of the reservations that I have just about Julio Jones's contract that you're going to have to pay, the ability to fit into this Seahawks offense. And I feel like for San Francisco, I think San Francisco is already better than you. So maybe it's a difference of a game. But I think the wide receiver core is pretty solid as it is. It goes from solid to good, very good to great if you put Jones aboard it. But I feel like we're perhaps looking at wide receiver and overestimating the impact that the addition of a wide receiver can have on a team that already has a couple of really good wide receivers. Look, it, it'll definitely make an impact, but it's not going to be the kind of impact that you guys are thinking about. And I just base this off of the entirety of what we have seen in football over the last 20 years. Offenses always start the season off great. They look awesome for the first couple of months of the year. What happens in November? What happens in December? That's why the Seahawks are prioritizing running the football more effectively this season. you got to be able to do both down the stretch because there will be games, bad weather, or just going up against better defenses, or due to banged up uh, offensive linemen because you're going to get injured as the season goes along. There are going to be games where you need to win running the football. Since the Seahawks have Russell Wilson, they can win a variety of different ways, but they need to have the ability to win another way. Adding Julio Jones makes you a terrifying death star of a passing attack. But if all of a sudden you go into next season and you're prioritizing the pass the way that the Seahawks did in the first half of last year and then the second half of the season hits and you have to basically go to another thing, you have to go to the running the football, what happens then? What happens with an injury? What happens there? Text in, 710-710. Why trade for Gilmore when Sherm is available? Because Gilmore's better. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show on your 710 app. Your smart speaker, 710sports.com slash video. Coming up next, it's the Graz in the sports pit. How much of a difference would Julio Jones make on the San Francisco 49ers where, per Jeremy Fowler, he's hearing the most noise involving San Francisco and Jones, trade chatter-wise? And what does a 13-8 and record tell you about the Mariners, because that's the record against the rest of the AL West. All of that next with the Gross. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Galanis. And joining me now is the great and powerful Gross, Dave Grosby. Gross, Tom Murphy's face after that walk-off sacrifice <laughs> fly was something else. Did you find it more funny or terrifying? Terrifying. Completely terrifying. Um, it was. It looked like a face from The Walking Dead to me, didn't it, to you? A little bit, although it, at least there wasn't, you know, skin missing like you would see perhaps in The Walking Dead. Have you ever had someone look at you like that? 
specifically in the sports world, seeing as you are a member of the sports media? Uh, let's see. I've had guys look daggers at me, but uh, I think if I saw someone look, look at me like that, I would have run. <laughs> I think Ozzy Ginn looked at me like that once, and then he told me to go bleep off, and uh, that was fun. That was my uh, first day reporting at a baseball game ever. I asked him about some dumb oh. things that he had said in a magazine like a couple of weeks before. How funny is that? Uh, so, Graz, the Mariners are back above five hundred. Yeah, this is this is interesting. So uh, let's see. Two Tuesdays ago, all was uh, the the sky was falling. Yep. Uh, no, no, things were good. Last Tuesday, things were bad. This yes. Tuesday, things are good. It's a it's a true roller coaster ride. The ups and downs have really been something else. It's weird the success, at least to this point, that they've had against the Oakland A's, who I think we would consider to be at the very least the second best team in the American League West, if not the first. They are, of course, in first place. Should I be making as much out of the 13-8 and eight start against the American League West as I am? Because I'm looking at it from this perspective, Graz. I feel like the climb up the ladder to the top of the American League West, based off of what you're seeing thus far this year and the way that the Mariners are playing these teams, it's not that far, and that's not necessarily because the Mariners are making huge progress. I think it's because the rest right. of the division just seems to be continuously declining. Just wallowing, uh, you know, the, the power looked like it was going to be the Astros and the A's, and it still may be. I mean, we're still more than 100 games left to play. But, um, no, I think it's a very good thing because of the, you play so many games against teams in the division, 20 of them. And, and, you know, the Mariners have had recent years against Houston that it's just been humiliating, the, the final season number, like 17-2 to two or 18-1. to one. So it's definitely the right place to start by playing well in the division. It's something they haven't done that much of, and it, it's, a, it's a nice thing to see. And, you know, the, this weekend was, I mean, this was, this was Oakland. This was, this is, or excuse me, getting started with Oakland yesterday. Uh, you know, this is, this is beating a good team. So um, I, I was very impressed with yesterday's game. I just, uh, they, they just, they, they, it's funny how, they, how they're looking this well, and then you consider that they got a leadoff guy hitting 115. So what do you do about Jared Kelnick? Doesn't he have to come out of the leadoff spot? I mean, isn't I it think time so. to say, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was a good idea. It probably is where he's going to wind up, but let's, let's take him out of the spotlight a little bit and have him, have him bat fifth or sixth and bury him in the lineup a little bit and let him bat with some guys on base already a little more often than he is, things like that, because, yeah, this is, this is getting painful at this point. Danny and I had a back and forth about this this morning on Danny and Galan, and you can check it out on the Danny and Galan podcast, where we – were of different opinions. I think that they should move Kelnick, but Danny made the argument that because of the patience that you have seen from him, he still drew two walks last uh, yesterday, and on top of right. that, he also did at the very least put together a competitive at-bat before being called out on a low strike three, but it was a strike. It, it seems like his approach isn't wrong. It's something else, and I just can't put my finger on it. And unless, I mean, I haven't looked at the, at the numbers the way the guys who look at the numbers look at them, but, I mean, it is, there's the stats for hitting the ball well even though you're not getting hits. Right. I mean, that can be... That, Batting you know, average on balls in play. Bat bip, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. That, I think that's what, we call, that's what we call it in sabermetrics. <laughs> All these advanced Bat-bip. statistics, whenever I see the actual <laughs> initials for them, I just get really confused. So I feel like I need to say the actual acronym all the way through. If he's doing well in that and hitting the ball well, I mean, that's a sign that it's just it's just a, a bad luck. But boy, if that's the case, it's tremendously bad luck because he's not hitting two fifteen; he's hitting one fifteen. 
Yeah. Oof. It's gross. Um, but you do have some guys who are actually hitting. And a texter on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line, he's wondering what they're going to do at the trade deadline. He'd like to see the Mariners keep Mitch Hanniger, who is off to a 14-home run start. Multiply that by three. I mean, he's on pace for 42 home runs. If they don't get Ugh. offers that blow them away. And I'm sort of of the same mindset when it comes to Hanniger, when it when it comes to Kyle Seeger. There's, there's a part of me looking at where the lineup is right now and that maybe it's just not that big of a gap to go from where you're at to at least in a spot where you can compete for the playoffs. Maybe next year with the way the starting pitching's been going where you should maybe hang on to someone like Mitch Hanniger. You know, I feel about this. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you should hang on to him at this point. Um, you know, he, he, I don't know the value that he would have because of his injury. Um, you know, fighting it off last year uh, to teams this year would not even have a full year under his belt. You've still got club control over him for a couple of years. He's, he's reasonably, if he has that kind of year that, that, he's, that he's tracking towards and, and hits 35 home runs, let's say. I mean, you've got him at a, a, a bargain price for, for a couple of years. So you are going to need good players to build around. It doesn't all have to be 22-year-old phenoms. There's got to be a veteran or two around there. And Hanniger, to me, strikes me as a perfect one. So and at this point, I've got no interest in trading Mitch Hanniger. I mean, I think that, that he should be a part of, of what you're doing. You know, and, and yes, you should be planning on being, being uh, more competitive next year for sure, if, if still not this year. We're definitely on the same page on that front. The Graz with me in the sports pit. Paul Galant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle, the 710 app. On your smart speaker to 710sports.com slash video. So when it comes back to Kalanick, a texter brings up an interesting point on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Like most young Mariners, hitting at T-Mobile Park is really, really difficult. Why is T-Mobile Park as difficult to hit as it is? I mean, I know it's a giant park, and it does seem to get better as the year goes along, but there's a part of me that maybe thinks that maybe you do something about the ballpark to make it a little bit easier for all of these potential sluggers you've got. Uh, it's been done, Paulie. It's been done. You think that you think there's a lot of outfield space now. You've got no idea what it was like the first couple of years. <laughs> Mike, Mike Cameron, who hit four home runs there, talked about it being the most unfair ballpark he'd ever played in. I mean, it was... They, they made a significant change in, in the fences uh, about about five or six years ago. And actually, if you go by the numbers, it, it's really a park that favors hitters more than it does pitchers, believe it or not, at this point, even though the Mariners had a winning record when it was favoring pitchers. So they've done a pretty significant remodel of it. So I, 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 don't, I don't think there's much of a taste for doing it again. Graz, let's shift to football. Big rumor over the sure. weekend about Julio Jones, the Seahawks have at the very least had conversations. They've been engaged in conversations with the Atlanta Falcons about Julio Jones and that Russell Wilson has had discussions about playing with Julio Jones with Julio. Would you want the Seahawks to make a move for Julio Jones? And is that the finishing touch, you think, for Seattle in 2021? No. No, I don't. Good. We're on the same page on everything. Uh, 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 we are. I mean, I, I, think it would I will be admit – yeah, if you, if you allow yourself, here's the one thing, Paul. You allow yourself a minute to think of those two guys lined up next to each other in the slot and two wide-eyed 5'11 defensive backs looking at them, wondering what the hell they're supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 when I think of it like that, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But then when I think about the complaints about who's not getting the ball enough, 
um, you know, and all that other stuff. Uh, I think about Tyler Lockett, and is he ever going to get the ball thrown to him? And I think about the money they spent on Chris Carson because they want to run the ball. It just does not make sense to me. So I, I just don't, I just don't see it as making sense. I, I don't, I, which is probably why it'll happen. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just don't, don't see it. I, I simply don't see it being, and nothing. Julio Jones is a spectacular player. But um, I just, you know, another number one pick for that. And, and yeah. you got enough ball to go around for everyone then. I mean, it just it seems to me it could open up a lot more problems than it might solve. I'm with you on that front. He is the Graz, everybody, at the Graz on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining me today. We'll hear from you again Thursday at 1030. Sounds great, partner. That is the one and only Graz, the Graz father, the great and powerful Graz. Okay, guys, up next, you get to pick what I talk about. Still on the table how much of an impact Julio Jones could have in San Francisco, and what does the Mariners' 13-8 and record in the AL West tell you about them? But you also get to pick from one of these three topics. Why the sports world needs to reevaluate its grasp of the word courage, why I keep finding reasons to be frustrated with the Seahawks not showing up for OTAs, and I'm concerned about a Mariners foundational piece. It's not Jared Kelnick. All of that next is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. The most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Question of the day, how much of a gap would Julio Jones to the San Francisco 49ers, where per Jeremy Fowler, that's where the most noise is coming from, how much of a gap, win style, would Julio Jones create between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. And most people said none at all, which, again, surprises me. One text, I'd be fine with the 49ers getting him because then they will get into the same space as the Rams with loading up with talent that they can't pay in a year or two. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you put Julio Jones' contract on anyone's books, and it's going to make it really difficult for them to keep the entirety of the roster together. But what San Francisco has going for it that Los Angeles does not have is that soon San Francisco will just have one quarterback on the roster and he's going to be on a rookie contract. So they can make it work. The Rams can't. And the Rams are saying right now publicly, oh, yeah, you know, our offense is fine. They actually are technically out, at least based off of what I have been reading from the NFL Cognizant. They've pulled the plug. They would like to have Julio. I mean, you want to give Matt Stafford all that you can. I just think that relying on Matt Stafford and Julio could be a recipe for disaster because I don't think both either are certainties to be able to last the entirety of this coming 2021 season. Most people, though, are hoping that the Seahawks make this trade happen on the text line. Text in, I finally disagree with the Graz. Russ could close his eyes and throw it up, and one of those three is making a catch. I don't want Russ to close his eyes while throwing the football Jimmy Garoppolo style. That is just me. Would not like to see that happen again because it felt like he was doing that for a four-week stretch as well with all those turnovers that he had. I don't think it's as simple as that. Look, sometimes wide receivers, they're great, and they go to another situation, and it just doesn't work. And I feel like the example you should be looking at is not Stephon Diggs going to Buffalo where there's nobody else or – DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona where Larry Fitzgerald's a shell of himself. Odell Beckham Jr. has not been a fit with Cleveland, and it makes no sense why. That can happen. And imagine you're paying that wide receiver a ton of money, and you got all the injury risks as well. Another text. 
The Bucs won a ring with a great quarterback and an overloaded wide receiver core. Bringing Julio puts us over the top. It's a ring. Stop the nonsense. No, they won the Super Bowl because their pass rush was unstoppable against both Green Bay and Kansas City and because they were able to run the football. Tom Brady almost lost in the NFC Championship game. People forget that he threw three interceptions on three straight drives in a row, all in a row. Those wide receivers that they have, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, uh, Scotty Miller, it's a great core. But there's a formula that works every year. You need to have a plus defense. And if Seattle's going to add anything, defense is where they should be looking. Text in, Gilmore is good, but not worth $15 million a year. He was the defensive player of the year. Why isn't he worth $15 million a year? If Shaquille Griffin's getting paid that elsewhere, Jacksonville, isn't Stephon Gilmore clearly worth that? The text continues, would rather pay Julio, bring in a cheaper cornerback to compete. Well, you've already done that. He continues by finishing and saying, you can't just assume Eskridge is going to work. Another texter a little more skeptical. Julio to the Hawks smells like the Jimmy Graham experience all over again. Well, I don't think they're going to tell him to block. Hey, uh, Julio, you know, we think you're a really good wide receiver, but guess what? If you play tight end, oh, man, it is going to be a game changer. I don't see them doing that. All right, so... We put the poll up. You got to pick what I talk about at 1045 between the sports world needing to reevaluate its grasp on the word courage, another reason to be frustrated about the Seahawks' lack of vets at OTAs, and why I'm really concerned about a Mariners foundational piece. And while the poll said another M's oh no, the text line wants a courageous take on courage. Naomi Osaka, what she is doing at the French Open withdrawing because of what they're asking her to do. I think it's awesome because I just like to see hoity-toity sports writers get their feathers ruffled when they are shown just how little they matter. That is what Naomi Osaka did. They threatened her because she wasn't showing up for media availabilities. First off, they find her, but they said, hey, you might not be able to compete in any of the Grand Slam tournaments going forward. Just based off of this, and reporters get so crusty when an athlete doesn't play ball, and you're seeing a bunch of hot take artists out there. You saw it with Marshawn Lynch. I've seen it in person with Arian Foster. It's funny how people get so mad about, oh, you just do what you're asked to do. Show up for your job. Certain people have different leeway. Naomi Osaka has different leeway. And she wrote in a long post on Instagram that the reason that she is opting out of the entire tournament is for her own mental health. Good for Naomi Osaka. Mental health, mental health is really important. There is something, though, that happened afterwards, and I know it's going to sound critical, but it's not critical of Naomi Osaka. It's critical of the people who are basically lionizing what she did. Here's why Naomi Osaka was able to do what she did. She makes $55 million a year. She is one of the most, if not the most important female athletes in the entire world. 15th highest paid athlete total, men or woman, in the world. She's got partnerships with all sorts of brands, including Nike, who came out in support of her today. So she can walk away from this, and there's not going to be really a whole lot of consequences for her, you know, like going forward. So she has the ability 
to not just make a statement by not showing up for these media availabilities. She can flex on them, which, again, I think is cool. She can afford to take that mental holiday. Not every single player in the world of tennis can do that. Those players, if they were doing something like that, I would think it would be a little bit more courageous because there's, there's nothing really at stake for Naomi Osaka here. Obviously, tennis is going to side with her on that front. You think in today's culture that people are going to say, oh, Naomi Osaka, what are you doing out there? No, no one publicly is going to do that. No one wants to do that. And the people that do do that, you see what happens to them online generally. I just got a bit of an eye roll uh, parade when it came to what I saw out of a lot of other athletes, like lionizing it. We are with you, Naomi Osaka wrote. Russell Wilson, courage. Another text, uh, excuse me, another famous athlete. Serena Williams, I feel for Naomi. I wish I could give her a hug because I've been in those situations. You have to let her handle it the way she wants to in the best way she can. AOC, proud of you, Naomi Osaka. Steph Curry, you shouldn't ever have to make a decision like this, but so impressive. I'm not saying it's not impressive. I just feel like when we're looking at something like this and we're portraying it as courageous, I feel like we're losing the meaning of the word courageous here. I think, though, maybe you're not looking at the fact that I think they're also saying she's courageous for just sharing the fact that she struggles with depression. That, Maura, 100% true. Some people don't want to talk about that. It's embarrassing for them. And I want more people to feel comfortable doing that. So great point, Maura, and I'm glad that you brought that up before we, we hit the road. I would just like to say, though, like what she did, she has the means to do. I wish more athletes had the means to do it. I wish, honestly, more everyday people had the ability to do things like that, to prioritize their mental health over the job. Osaka has that luxury. Not everybody does. I'm Paul Gallant. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Paul Gallant Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Subscribe to the podcast. If you so choose, big thanks to the Gras, big thanks to the Texters, and, of course, big thanks to the one and only Maura Dooley, the voice of reason behind the glass who makes this thing happen every single day. I'm just Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Jake and Stacy is next.